0: Hey guys, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. We're coming to you from the heart of Los Angeles, California, and it is our joy and our privilege to know there's a tribe across the world that has joined us on this mission of Jesus. I'm amazed how many people have told me that it's this podcast that has really given them life, has renewed their faith, and for many of them have rediscovered Christ. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged and helped and strengthened and maybe even rediscovered your faith because of what's happening here at Mosaic, I want to ask you to take a step and become an investor in what God is doing through Mosaic. I love the fact that our community here in Los Angeles has been committed to you. Now I'm going to ask you to be committed to them because together we can do more than we could ever do alone. So I want you to go to the mosaic.org give section of the website and I want you to make a commitment to be a part of taking this message across the world. When we receive, we should be grateful. But when we give, we are now expressing that gratitude in tangible, practical ways. Let's together get the message of Jesus to every corner of this planet. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for joining the tribe. And what a great day to be alive, isn't it? And it's so good to have daylight saving times, and that way you can make it on time to the evening uh, gathering at Mosaic, and you got that extra sleep that you needed, so you could roll out of bed at about 3.30, get here. So good. Yeah, I love that ambition. And before we dive into our, um, our talk for tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about next Sunday. And I'm going to talk to you the same way we talk to the people in the morning. Because I don't know if you know this, but every gathering has sort of a different personality. And a lot of times, the nighttime are people who are guests and people who come from other churches sometimes, and 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 so this one's almost like a river runs through it. And but we know some of you here are not just rivers running through; you're actually the ocean that makes everything happen here at Mosaic. And next Sunday is what we call Foundation Sunday, and we um, established that last year. We actually just borrowed the idea from. Uh, a church that we really admire and think they're doing some really good things and we thought that's a great idea what they do once a year. They call their community to give a one-time gift above their normal offering to pay for all the hard costs for the hard stuff that needs to be done for the next year. And so what we're asking you to do is pray during this week especially and come next week with a gift, with an offering that's above your normal giving and if you don't give it all, Everything would be above your normal giving, so you have a lot of leeway and uh, so much more room to be creative. And, uh, and some of you we know are some of the most uh, sacrificial and faithful people, but what we discover is oftentimes the people who give the most all the time are the ones who end up giving the most those special times too. And we have a very, very specific theory behind this, because we do so many things around the world, and we do so many things that, that just alleviate human suffering that meet practical needs. We, we serve people who could never do something in return for us. And we do it because it's right. And it's so much easier to raise money when we're doing those things. Kim uh, is on the board of Habitat for Humanity. It's, it's, it's easier to raise money to build a house for someone who so much deserves one but can't afford one. We, we were a part of the foundational group of The Well that launched Charity Water to build millions of dollars worth of wells in Africa. And it's so much easier to call people to this noble task of providing clean water. Our community was the, the culture, the community that launched Adopt Together to help children who don't have families and families who want to adopt a child come together and provide the resources to make those happen. We, we've done so many things. And, and, and you, whenever you're going to raise money, you're always told to put like a, a child on a video. Or, or you need a photograph of a child. And, and so and if, if we can put that child in a really desperate situation, you become emotionally moved to give more money. But this offering next week is actually for those of us who are committed to the church. That knows that we have a unique singular mission in the world that no one else is responsible for. We are the ones who are supposed to be the presence of God in the world so that people know that God loves them. And that Jesus has been crucified on their behalf and that life is available to them. And so here's where we do just the hard cost stuff. We pay for the rent every month. We, we, we pay so there's a parking lot for people to park in. It, it, it's hard to create a really emotional video about a parking lot. Maybe we could put a little, little lonely parking lot up there and just go, your gifts will help this parking lot find the car it's been dreaming of, you know, or something like that. We could probably find some really moving story. But what I want to do is not move you emotionally. I want to call you to faithfulness and say, sometimes you don't have to get sturdy emotionally to simply go, this is right, and I'm a part of this. And so I want us to do that. Next week, it's going to be amazing. And last year, it went so, so well. It actually jettisoned us to a really strong year. And, and by the way, it's amazing that we get to be on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard in La Brea. I hope you don't ever take that for granted. It's so, so good. And, and, and we've just been given an extension for up to three more years, which is amazing, which I love that. And, and they graciously also increased the rent. And, uh, and so they're trying to help us on multiple levels because if they didn't increase the rent, we wouldn't have to have greater faith and greater sacrifice. So we're just so thankful for that opportunity. And, but that means that all of us have to lean in and give together. And by the way, our vision isn't to pay the bills. That's not our vision. We want to pay the bills so that we can actually fulfill our vision. We want to see every person in the city know that Jesus Christ loves them and that they matter to God. We we want to see 12 million people have easy access to this kind of grace and goodness that God offers us. You know, and, and that's right. You know, and. But our vision is so much bigger than that. And we have some big plans ahead for Los Angeles. And our plans right now for LA are going to change the way people talk about Los Angeles a thousand years from now. So we don't want to just think small. I mean, some of you are all worried about the election. Don't worry. And uh, isn't it great when you don't really have good choices? It, it, it's, it, just, it just makes life easier. And you realize... That if the choices that we have to make politically are the full force of the future we can create, we're all in trouble. That's right. That's right. But we have far more power than when we vote on Tuesday. And so vote on Monday, Tuesday. So vote on Tuesday. But realize that that's the power of that vote and the power of that decision is is so small in comparison to the change we can bring in human history together all right so, so that's the end of my talk about next sunday so be here next week it's going to be a great day but a few weeks ago we began to dive into the theme of the beautiful one and i i, I love this description of Jesus. I think there have been so many demeaning descriptions of God. So many words and phrases and descriptions about God that have stuck to him that really do not belong to him. And so oftentimes people become resistant to God because of the image they have of God, but not because of who God is. I I love the description, the beautiful one, because it reminds us that when Jesus walked this earth, we saw something unique in those days. When Jesus walked this earth, we were able to to see a glimpse of God, which I think is is pretty extraordinary when the scriptures tell us that God is the invisible God. And Jesus was the visible manifestation of God himself. So if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus and it will be beautiful. Beautiful. But there's more than that, though, because Jesus was not only fully God, he was also fully human. And so when we look at Jesus, we see a beauty that we know comes from God. But sometimes we might actually overlook this beautiful reality. That the beauty we see in Jesus is not simply a reflection of who God is. It is a reflection of who we were created to be. And then there's always these conflicts with Jesus. These moments of tension. And I, th- and I think most of the time when we see the, the conflicts between Jesus and people, we go, oh yeah, that's the conflict between humans and God. When God enters the room, he elevates the standard. Of course there's going to be issues involved. But the reality is that the, the tensions that Jesus created were not because of the contrast between who God is and who we are. The real tension was that Jesus Represented what it looked like to be human. And it created a tension and a conflict with everyone who had lost their humanity. What happens when we look at Jesus carefully is we get a glimpse of us. Have you ever had someone take a photograph of you that was unbecoming? <laughs> you know, they, they, they got your bad side. Now with Instagram, have you ever had a friend take a photo? And they may have taken five or six photos. But the one they chose was the one where they look great. He's like, what's the deal? My mouth was open. Or I, 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 that was the wrong expression. I, I wasn't ready. But it's okay because they don't care because it's their Instagram. And so they're going to pick the one where they look good. They don't care how you look. In fact, it looks better if you don't look good because you're a contrast <laughs> to them. Yeah, these are my friends. I am merciful. I have had photographs taken of me. and go, oh, that's not good. In fact, my instant thought is that it doesn't look like me. But that's not really what bothers me because I wouldn't be bothered if it didn't look like me. What really bothers me is that it looks like me. It's not the way I want to look. But every once in a while, there's another photo, a different photo. We're not supposed to say this out loud. But have you ever seen a photo of yourself and you thought, I'm looking pretty good. You know, I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's me. You can't say that out loud except in L.A. You send that out, actually. This is me. See, I, I love those moments where someone captures me and the lighting is just right. They're going, I look better than I really am, but not quite as good as I imagine me. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't understand. <laughs> it's, it feels like sometimes life is filled with paparazzi who are chasing you around, trying to take a snapshot of your life, you, capturing you in your worst moment. They want to capture you in a moment that you'd like to forget. And you know who's really for you. When you have people in your life that, that burn all the snapshots of your life when you were not who you were supposed to be. When you were at your worst deal. But they keep pulling up the moments. They keep capturing that, that image of you that is the best you possible. See, in John chapter 8, you have a moment in the life of one individual who is in danger of being captured by the worst moment of her life, to be defined by the worst choice she ever made. And in that moment, if it were not bad enough, if the worst moment of your life could get any worse, God would show up in that moment find you stripped naked of all your dignity. No place to run and no place to hide. That's what happens in John chapter 8. I want us to look together, beginning in verse 2. It says, At dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin... Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You you may not catch it at first, but John writes this in a way that the description of this moment is full of irony. It begins by telling us that Jesus went to the temple and all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have a moment where you just saw Jesus sit down at the steps of the temple and just begin to teach. I don't know about you, but sometimes my, my conversations with God become very utilitarian. God, this is what I need. What do you need? Sort of quick text between me and God. This is what I need you to do. What do you need me to do? Wouldn't it be amazing if you had an opportunity just to sit at the feet of God and have God just begin to to talk about whatever was on his mind? Just let, let, let Jesus free flow for a little while. Just talk about whatever you want. This was the opportunity they had. Jesus sat down to teach. And there's a beautiful imagery here because there was this temple in the middle of Jerusalem, in the middle of Israel, and it's supposed to be the nation of God, in the city of God, in the temple of God, but God has been absent from them. The temple had been vacated. And they were completely unaware. They just kept on going as if God was there, even though God was no longer meeting them there. But now God steps up to the temple. Jesus steps up to the temple, and God... Begins to teach and they interrupt him. And when Jesus sat down to teach him, John writes, The teachers of the law, which is the irony. Jesus, the teacher whose words bring life, are interrupted by the teachers who try to bind people to the law. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, and here's the first thing they said to him Teacher, it's filled with, with sarcasm. Because these men did not believe for one moment Jesus had anything to teach them. They were the teachers of the law, they were there to teach Jesus a lesson. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law. As if they have to tell Jesus what's in the law. And Jesus could have said, I didn't just write the law. I am the law. <laughs> in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And then John. John wants to make sure we don't miss the nuance here. Have you ever had someone say something to you sarcastically and you thought it was actually serious? I mean, that happened to me this week. I actually sent an email to my publisher, because they were asking for a subtitle, and I sent them two, one really short one, two words, one really, really long one. Because I knew that's what they'd really like. A super long, highly detailed explanation. I made it as long as I could. There's no way they could put that on the front of a book. They sent me back an email. We love both titles. I'd say on the phone, I, I was sort of being sarcastic. And one of them said, oh, it was my favorite title. So John wants us to make sure that we don't miss this moment, that that we don't lose the sarcasm of the irony of this moment. So in verse 6, he says they were using this question to trap Jesus, in case we didn't know. They didn't come going, what do we do? The law says this. We have this woman. She was caught in adultery. The law says she should be stoned. We're a little confused. Tell, Tell us, Jesus, what do you think? Give us an insight into how to actually apply this harsh teaching from God. No, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. I'm like, really, John? I would have never picked that up. And what John is actually showing us is that in this moment when there's this encounter with Jesus, what Jesus begins to unwrap inside of their hearts is that every person is journeying through their life trying to prove something, trying to find something, trying to validate something. And these men were there in that moment to prove that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And in fact, what they were actually doing in the end is they, they were attacking and maligning the, the name and character of God. Think this is what God told us to do in the law. What do you say, Jesus? How do you handle this? What is amazing to me is that these individuals had no concern for the callous and inhumane treatment of this human being. She was just an object lesson to trap Jesus. So he had to choose between grace and judgment. And on top of it all, it says they made her stand before the group. They're a very specific teacher. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Wow. That's, that's, the, that's the human dilemma. We keep trying to catch each other in our worst moments. That there are people whose entire lives are motivated by capturing us and you in your worst moment. Jesus, this woman, was caught in the act of adultery. Which means she was actually in the act of adultery. And they knew where she was. And they knew the exact time and the exact place where she would be committing adultery. And they dragged her out of that bed, and I don't think they had the grace to cover her. And they pulled her out of that house and dragged her down down the street completely naked. And then they dragged her to the temple, and they took the sacred ground and turned it into a sacrilege. And they threw her in front of Jesus. And if you were naked in front of anyone that you did not want to be naked in front of, I don't even want to be naked in front of me. And I don't know about you. But they threw her in front of all these people. And if you were naked in front of a crowd and you were filled with shame and you were caught in your worst moment and they took your darkness and moved it into the light, you would just shrivel up and die. And I think she was just pressed to the ground trying to cover her shame with the dirt. And it says, and they made her stand because it wasn't enough to have her there dying in her shame, drowning in her humiliation. They made her stand so that Jesus could understand the gravity of her condition. I did, by the way, check because there there was a period of time in the formation of Israel where, where there were laws about stoning. But it never says if a woman's committing adultery to take her and stone her. It says if a husband is committing adultery with another man's wife. So the scriptures have this implicit expectation That when adultery is being committed, there are at least two people involved. But this woman was so creative, she was committing adultery all by herself. They should have commanded her, whoa, I said, whoa. She pulled this off all by her lonesome. What should we do with her? And so it tells me that these men schemed and planned. And while they pulled her out of her disgrace, they protected whoever he was. One of the things I've learned in life is that you will find what you're looking for. And, and, and there are some people who are intent on proving that God cannot be trusted. And you will prove it to yourself. You you are intent on proving that God doesn't care about you and you will prove it to yourself. You're intent on proving that people can't be trusted and all you'll ever find is betrayal in your life. You are intent on proving that no one is really sincere and you will find a world of insincerity. You are intent on believing and proving that there's no hope in the world. And you will find a hopeless world. I want to assure you that whatever you're out to prove, you will prove it to yourself. So I want to ask you, what are you trying to prove? If you're trying to prove that the world is a mess, that everything is falling apart, that's all you're ever going to know. And what's amazing to me is that in the same world, if you believe that there are people that are worth loving, you will find people worth loving. If you're trying to prove that there are people who can be trusted, you're going to find people who can be trusted. If you're out to prove that God is good, I'm telling you, you're going to find the proof that God is good. So what are you trying to prove? What are you spending your life doing? What moments are you trying to capture people in? Are you trying to capture them in their worst moments? Or are you trying to, to put a face on God that distorts his beauty? They were not there to learn from Jesus. They were there looking for an, a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. I love that imagery. It's so beautiful. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. I, I think this was Jesus' way of holding the anger inside of him and focusing it on her freedom. Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger, but they kept on questioning him. You ever have people just nag you and nag you and nag you for an answer to something that they already know the answer to? But they want a different answer from you, so they just keep asking and asking. You ever anybody just, just keep just pecking away at you? You're like, you need to stop. They just kept on crushing him. And I love this. He straightened up. I love that imagery of Jesus. See, I am convinced John gives us this imagery so we can know that Jesus straightened up. I don't think he meant that he just stood up. I think what it meant is that Jesus was filled with anger toward what they were doing toward this woman. That he was incensed inside of his soul. I think that Jesus got up off the ground and he stood up. And it was one of those moments where they're thinking, he's taller than we thought he was. (laughs) Because we always tend to think of Jesus as being meek and mild and and passive and gentle. But this moment, he stood up. He straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then it says right after, Without missing a beat, again, he stooped down and rode on the ground. I think this is important for several reasons. Have you ever been around people who are so self-righteous? They're just so full of themselves that if you actually handed them a stone and said, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone, bam. Like, oh, No self-reflection. You got to be careful who you hand stones to. Because there's a lot of people who actually think that they're qualified to throw stones. How else can you explain the way we judge each other? The way we condemn each other? The way we constantly keep capturing each other in our worst moments, except that we think somehow we are justified to throw the stone. I've interviewed people. It's, it's an important part of leadership and part of what you do in, in any environment. And I've asked people, to talk to me about one of your failures. And, and when you work with people for a long time and you're trying to help them make breakthroughs, you have to go, okay, I want you to process through your failures. And I've had people look at me and say, I've never failed. <laughs> you go, like, never? They go, Never. So so from your mindset, from your perspective, you've never failed. I've had people who were absolutely certain they've never failed. In fact, that's why they're so frustrated. They live in a world of incompetent people. Everyone around them has failed. Their employees have failed. Their employers have failed. The church has failed. God has failed. Everyone has failed them. They're the only ones that have never failed. Can you imagine how lonely it is to be in a world of failures when you're the only one who's never failed? a tough place to be don't hand them a stone <laughs> years ago we were in the middle of a huge crisis a huge conflict and and Kim was asking me, why why haven't you been able to resolve this I said you don't understand I'll sit in the meeting and they'll tell me everything I did wrong and I'll just go through and ask for forgiveness for everything they said I've done wrong I don't even try to explain it or argue it I just go ahead and embrace it and then when I look at them and say okay Let's take a minute and talk about maybe where you're responsible for some of the problems that have happened. And I I remember telling Kim, they couldn't think of one place that they were at fault. Kim couldn't conceptualize that, so she invited them over to the house. (laughs) Against my wishes, but they came. And they were in our living room, and they went through everything that I had done wrong. Which is so exciting to have people do in front of your wife. And I just went one by one, said, I'm so sorry. I own that. I'm so sorry. I own that. I'm so sorry. I'll try to change. I'll try to change. We'll do it differently next time. And that just took so long, hours. And then near the end, Kim looked at them and said, now I'd like for you to share where you feel like you're wrong. It became so strangely silent. And it was almost as if she was speaking a language that they could not understand. So she was more clear. Everyone has made mistakes. Everyone needs to own their own sins in the middle of this. So I'd like for you to identify a few of the things you did that were wrong, where you're at fault, where you might have sinned. And without any hesitation, the person in charge said, I haven't made one mistake. I'm not at fault at all. I have no sin in this. It was the most liberating moment of my marriage. (laughs) Because when they left, she said, I cannot believe that. said, now you know what I'm dealing with. Don't hand them a stone. See, when Jesus said, if anyone here is without sin, throw the first stone. Those Pharisees, they were used to stoning people without blinking an eye. So I think the fact that Jesus says it's in between stooping down and writing on the ground is significant. Which is kind of frustrating. Do you realize Jesus never wrote anything down? I mean, if you're going to like come from eternity into time, if you're going to spend 33 years with us and only three of them publicly, journal! Right? Take some time every morning and write down your thoughts and reflections. If you wrote the Bible, write. Or just hand it off to Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah. You're Jesus, write something down. Quotables. Tweets. I mean, just leave us something, Jesus. But no, he leaves it to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Paul and Paul and Paul. Maybe if Jesus had written the book of Revelation, we would understand it. But nothing. So the one time Jesus decides to write things down, he writes it into the dirt. This is not efficient. It's not helpful. And clearly, John couldn't see. John sitting back going, he's writing in the dirt. <laughs> Anybody see that? Probably half of them like, can't read anyway. I don't know, but they couldn't see it. It just says he stooped down and wrote. And I, I, I stood down and wrote on the ground and I know they didn't see because they would have written it down. But when you don't know what someone wrote, you have to look at the effect of the writings. At this, Those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. So whatever Jesus wrote, it spoke so powerfully. See, I think when Jesus stood up, he was standing in her defense. and He was ready for war. And when he stooped down and began writing... I don't think Jesus started writing the Ten Commandments. I think they knew the Ten Commandments. I don't think Jesus started writing general things like, you haven't been good today. (laughs) I think Jesus started writing the names of women that they had been with. I think he was just writing Jezebel. (laughs) Because it says that they... Dropped their stones and walked away from the oldest who had been there longer to the youngest who could no longer hide behind the hypocrisy of those who led them. That's good. This moment is a moment that reminds me that when we step into the moments of our lives and we're going to get captured by a moment. We're going to be captured by those moments based on what we're trying to prove but also what we're trying to hide. They were exposing her sin while they were concealing their own. What I love about Jesus is that he will stand up in your defense when others want to stone you for your imperfections and your sins. He is not the one Who calls the meeting to stone you for your mistakes and your shortcomings? He's the one who stands up in the room and says, "You're not going to get to her unless you go through me." So I know this may be hard to imagine, but when I was young, I had a I had a volatile temper. But I know I'm like so Zen now that, that it's hard to imagine me like that at all, you know? And I've really, honestly, I've like developed like a, um, a lifestyle of learning how to have deep self-control. It's almost impossible to make me angry. And it certainly it's nearly impossible for you to ever see my anger. It'll be in there, but I, I've learned how to keep it in a safe place. Because when I was young, I was one of those quiet guys that when it clicked, it was dangerous. I mean, I remember the day my brother would just beat me up and hit me and beat me up and hit me as older, two years older than me, he just kept hitting me and I'd just say, he'd stop, he'd stop, he'd stop and he just wouldn't stop. So one day I just said, okay, today's like it. And he chased me around the house and, I, and I, I knew exactly where I was going and I turned and left, and I turned another left and I had a knife about this big. And I pulled that knife up and he turned the corner and that knife was just inches away from his juggler. And he looked at me and he said, put that knife away or I'm going to tell mom. And I said said, you're not going to be able to tell anyone. <laughs> and, and he ran and he ran and, and, he, and he realized that there's a certain point where I just snapped. So I've learned to control that because <laughs> I don't want to snap. And so we're at the Clipper game Wednesday night. And they're playing the Thunder. And when other teams come, it's okay. But when, when, when people from Oklahoma come, it, it doesn't go well. I mean, I know there are good people in Oklahoma. But, but they don't come to the Clipper game, I don't think. And, uh, and so and the, the, the fans around us sold their seats, which just makes it even worse. And they're wearing their Thunder jerseys, which made it worse. And they're cheering really loud. And we're losing, which made it worse. And, but um, we're, we're okay. It's all just good old. It's just in good fun. Yay, Thunder! Yay, Clippers! Just move on. But in the fourth quarter, the guy who was one over from Aaron, he wasn't just drinking too much. He had to have done some coke or something, and he came back really wired. (laughs) Go (laughs) Thunder! Go Thunder! Yeah, come on, on!" (laughs) God! And and then, and just like every profane word started coming out of his mouth. Yeah! Just yelling at, and like, and I'm and Aaron goes, "Hey, Dad, can I like switch with you so I don't do something stupid?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, buddy." You know, because Aaron, you know, Aaron can be intense. And uh, so I, I and so I'm here because I'm like the, the chill one. And he was like getting to me, you know. He was getting to me, and, and even before Aaron moved, he leaned over to his friend, to the guy from Oklahoma, and said, "Hey, could you like calm your friend down? Because he's gonna get kicked out." I'm so proud of Aaron. Handle it. Such. Maturity and calmness and 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 then the woman in front of us, this this wonderful elderly lady, just turns around and says, Will you sh-? and she just started like cussing at the guy? Went, whoa, And she's like, Shut up! She he's even angering the little lady in the front. <laughs> she calls security, and, and security comes, and it's a big old guy is standing looking at him, but he doesn't do anything. And that guy starts mocking the security guard. Going, that's the same guy who kicked me out last time. <laughs> and he starts cussing at the guy, screaming at him, saying, you can't do anything to me. Starts calling him names and just using every kind of profane word. And, and that security guard didn't do anything. And people are like, kick the guy out. or You arrest the guy. He's like, no, I'm, I can't. Like, really, you can't. So the game's almost over, and I was on edge. And there was one second left, and the Clippers fouled. And Aaron said, hey, Dad, do you want to leave now just to avoid the guy?" I said, yeah, please, let's go. So we took off really fast just to get away from that. Because if you ever, in a moment, you realize this is going to capture me in my worst moment, you got to run from that moment. So So we ran from that moment, but we got stuck at the tunnel because the players were going through. They wouldn't let us go. And that guy, I'm telling you, must have gone through 200 people to go all the way around them to get right to us. And Aaron's to my right, and that guy's there, and he can't get past us. And we don't want to let him past us, to be honest with you. And next thing I know, he's like in Aaron's face, just screaming, saying everything that a man does not say to another man. I'm like, Aaron's like so calm, like whispering to him, you're going to get kicked out. (laughs) <laughs> oh, the end was like Clint Eastwood and James Dean all wrapped up in one moment like this is awesome this is amazing there is a God and uh, you know and he's here with us and, 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 and but then the guy just kept going he kept going he kept going and going and I was like this is enough I'm spitting saying all kinds of profane things and go come on hit me I mean he was asking and the Bible does say <laughs> that if you ask, you will receive. And, uh, and, and I kept thinking, this guy is being so insulting to my son and to the people here. And something inside of me was awakened. <laughs> Some people would say snapped but I would say, and uh, came to life, and, uh, and oh, I could, I, I, I'm a very visual person, so I thought, it needs to be hard and fast. <laughs> so I already knew, it's going to go, it's going to be like that. And, and, uh, and so I went to move Aaron out of my way. I don't know what happened, I, and I know it would have been terrible, the pastor Mosaic like going to jail <laughs> for beating a thunder fan. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't, I, just, I was just going to subdue him <laughs> and uh, into a state where he could not harm himself or others. And, and, uh, and, and I went to move him and Aaron, I think was kind of surprised. And he grabbed me like to hold me back. And then I felt this giant guy put his arm on me to stop me. And, and then him and some other big guy just moved in the front. They're like giant guardian angels. <laughs> And they spoke to him in the language he understood encouraged him to be quiet. And then the police came and took him away. as we're leaving, my heart is actually pounding. I'm actually a little, a, a pretty kind of like distressed because I, I almost did something I didn't want to do. It would have been one of those bad moments in my life. I would not have been proud of it. It would have been on my record. And, uh, and everything I've tried to, you know, model would have been lost, at least for a moment. Except how clean the takedown would have been. But but uh, <laughs> were relieving. You know, Aaron said, what happened to you? And I said, I don't know. I snapped. But you know, I snapped. I didn't snap because he was saying something to me. I, I snapped because I felt he was treating someone I loved in a manner that they did not deserve to be treated See, I, I think you don't understand Jesus if you think you can drag a woman who was caught in an act of adultery, strip her, allow her to come strip naked and throw her in front of God and think that God is going to condemn her and not get in your face. Because uh, the accusers always pretend that God is with them. But the question is, what are you trying to hide? Because you know, I've learned over a lifetime He said if you accuse people of things all the time, it's your secret son. You hide behind an arrogant judgmentalism so that other people cannot see the darkness that resides inside of your soul. I've looked at that over the years. Kim's asked me, why do you always have to talk about living a heroic life and, you know, risking everything for your dreams? She goes, can't you just kind of move on to other themes? And I realized it's because I live in fear that I will choose the path of the coward or the path of the hero. I live in fear that one day I'm going to wake up and realize that I didn't have the courage to pursue my dreams and to live the life that God created me to live. And so it is the demon that haunts me. But what are you trying to hide? And then Jesus straightened up again when it was only Jesus and this woman left still standing there. He asked her woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And I love what he says go now and leave your life of sin. So, this moment that captures us, it will prove to us what we're searching for. It'll ask you the question what are you trying to prove? It'll strip you naked and ask you the question what are you trying to hide? After all, what's the point of hiding what God has already seen inside of you? They thought this woman was naked before God in her shame, but all of us are naked before God in our shame. There is nothing you can throw on that will ever hide your soul from God. But in the end, what liberates us in that moment that would hold us in the past but instead will thrust us into our future is when we answer the question, what are you trying to leave? Go now and leave your life of sin. I love how Jesus doesn't even have to be specific. Leave what has defined you. This is your moment of freedom. I love that Jesus stood up and straightened himself out again, but this time to declare her freedom. And Jesus asked an important question. Who condemns you now? Not, are you worthy of condemnation? He doesn't even address the issue that she should have been condemned. He says, who's here to condemn you? No one. I want you to know that Jesus will remove everyone from your life if you'll let him who wants to hold you back to who you were and doesn't want to allow you to be who you're going to become. And you need to pay attention to what moments people are trying to capture you in. You need to break free from everyone who remembers a picture of what you did yesterday. You need those who can actually capture a picture of who you're going to become that you can't even imagine. It has always struck me as odd that it says that they were both standing there that Jesus never did anything to cover her nakedness. The most compassionate, loving man who ever lived just didn't even address it. It doesn't even mention the disciples. They were clearly there. They remember the moment, but they were completely silent in this moment. And it strikes me that, that it would just take the smallest amount of effort for Jesus to look at his disciples and he just said, one of you, cover her with your, with your cloak. But he doesn't. And it's odd to me that Peter, who's always taking initiative, even the wrong way. I just cut the guy's ear off. Let's see how that goes. I mean, that's Peter. I mean, Peter and John and James were always the ones taking initiative. Hey, Jesus, we know you probably haven't picked out your first team. But if whoever, you know, we'll be happy to sit to your right and to your left. Just in case you're looking for a seating order of importance, they always just stepped right up when it was beneficial for them. But no one stepped up for her. And you'd think this would be a moment that someone like Bartholomew, I just can't get over Bartholomew. I mean, Bartholomew, you're not even in the Bible. Your name's there, but you never did anything. If you're listening he if, if if could be his bro he could be Nathaniel going hey he saw me under the fig tree but no one's going to see you dude man this is your moment grab your cloak cover the woman you're going to get in the book I mean just get in the story which just reminds me that Peter is in the book with all the mistakes he made because he was always willing to lean in and rest to try to do what he thought was the right thing but if you just sit back and watch, your name may get written down somewhere, but your story will never be told. Because you actually have to step in for a sentence to be written. And Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you So now go leave your life of sin. I wonder if there's a life that you've been trying to leave behind, but you were captured by the wrong moments of your life. It has held you, and it is suffocating you, and it has stolen from you not only your future, but has stolen from you your happiness. It has stolen from you your joy. It has stolen from you your dignity. There's just so many people who are trapped in the worst moment of their life. And I want you to know that when you allow Jesus into that moment, he shows you the way out of that moment into a future you could never imagine. That's why he's the beautiful one. Because he takes these moments where he finally allows us to see him for who he is. And we realize he was never the one who came to condemn us he was always the one who came to forgive us. That he'll never hold you in a moment that was you at your worst. He has so many moments waiting for you. Beautiful ones. Beautiful ones. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, we can do together we can never do alone. Go to mosaic.org/give and join us in taking this message and spreading it across the world. God bless. Thanks so much.